0: Did you guys play Pac-Man World repack? No. Yeah.
1: Okay. Why don't you start, King? I thought it was pretty average. I would probably play the original over it. Really? It's a bit hard. I've I've had a hard time explaining this to people, but um I don't know if the right word is like plasticky, but like it is very <laughs> the the visual upgrade makes sense, but I also think it's kind of boring. And removes a little bit of the charm that the original had. It's like a I've, I don't know. There are a lot of changes that they made that are like, I don't feel were all too necessary. I, ha- I don't know if this is just a me problem or if this was also present in the original to some extent, but I felt like I struggled a bit with depth perception sometimes. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it's because the drop shadow in the remake is not as well defined or what, but I felt like I was struggling with that a lot more. I don't know if they like redid the physics or something or like the movement. Mm. It seems like kind of a ground up remake, but I'm not really sure. Yeah. This game is made
0: in Unity. Um and since I have a experience scripting and building prototypes in Unity, I can kind of comment on some things, I guess. Like I I totally hear what you're saying about the graphics. Because, like, I, you compare it to something like Crash 4, right? Which was an mm-hmm. Unreal Engine 4 game. And that game looks gorgeous. Like, it has, like, y- y- you know, the textures have just, like, the right amount of detail for something that's cartoony. The animations are really smooth and well-defined. You know, the character designs look great and stuff. And then you go over to Pac-Man World Repack. And um, in Unity, how it works is you create something called the Material. Which is basically the bitmap for the texture plus a bunch of shader properties. Like you can add a separate map to make something like shiny or metallic. Um, you can add stuff to make it look rough in certain spots and shiny in others, you know. And for the most part, I found that Pac Man World Repack erred on the side of really shiny, which gives it kind of that plasticky quality where there isn't a lot of grit. To the, to the materials, so everything just kind of reflects back at the camera the same way. Makes it look mm-hmm. kind of samey. So yeah, so I see that. They also reused a lot of assets from Pac-Man Museum Plus, I think. Like, the same people made both games, which is a little weird. Because uh, mm-hmm. one is like an arcade collection, and another is like a 3D platformer. I thought, considering that, the developer did a really good job. I'm personally going to say, because I replayed the original this year, like before i finished the the aim to our video i was i've been playing around with several video ideas i wanted to do instead and one of them was a pac-man world remake or rebreak so i replayed the the original and what i found was that like uh you you've always loved the game more than me kinkay it's 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 one of your favorite
1: platformers right yeah i really i honestly think it's i probably still like it more than two yeah honestly and it's like that I I see what people like in
0: it, but it's never been one of my favorites because it kind of felt like, like it, it, with, with Crash Bandicoot at least, you would you would have like levels that would have you would have like a hallway level, and then you might have a side scroller ish level, and then you might have a level that kind of combines them. And I found that a lot of the level design in Pac Man World One feels a little samey because the mm. camera angle is kind of locked. It's sort of Mario 3D World esque. I mean, it was a solid, competent game, but there's some parts of it that I really actively dislike like I hate the King Galaxian boss the second phase because that just goes on forever um, mm-hmm. and then if you die you have to do the whole thing all over again Anubis Rex I don't like Clown
1: Pre has I think weird controls that they improved the bosses in the remake yeah I will say that Anubis Rex doesn't make me want to gouge my eyes hmm. out anymore
0: yes and that's that's kind of where I am where like I feel like the things I didn't like in in the original were universally improved in the remake so I would rather replay it personally Yeah, but that said it does have some weird changes that I do not understand like one of the most memorable things about Pac-Man World 1 for me is the opening cutscene the little CGI cutscene yeah. where everybody gets kidnapped they completely yeah. redid
1: <laughs> that in the remake for some reason like when I saw that I was like this fucking sucks like
2: well they did it the original
1: opening cutscene was kind of hammy but like I don't know it like it had personality it was cool and I liked it and um the new one's like really just boring (laughs) like like in general the like the kind of vibe that I get from like talk man and stuff like that it feels just like a little bit less I don't know it feels a little bit more standard and they made it a little bit more like Traditional adventure, kind of. I don't know. It was a bit like in the original. It was kind of like, yeah, Talkman like kidnapped pac-man's wife and shit, and now he has to go like, you know, like. And the opening cutscene made it a lot more clear that this was like a kind of a distressing thing for pac-man You know, like, yeah,
0: he literally screams in primal agony at the camera. In yeah, the beginning. You know, and because like one thing that they changed is that they got rid of the voice acting. Is all like nonsense syllables and stuff. Yeah, like. You know, like I, I don't think the CGI cutscenes in Pac-Man World One have aged particularly well, personally. Yeah. But yeah. they have a certain distinct charm to them that is unique to that game. It's part of that game's identity. So when you strip that away and just have everything be text based and have no voice acting and make the cutscenes look completely different, it just it feels like a completely different game. You know? Yeah. And I would be surprised if they did that because. The game was low budget and they didn't want to have to, they, they couldn't afford voice acting and localization. So they just kept it text-based. I mean, I mean, it works fine enough for what it is, but considering that the original exists and I remember what it's like, it did feel like, you know, some of the originals identity was lost because of that. But, you know, in terms of playing it, I would personally recommend the remake because it's, it has 60 FPS. It's HD, so it's easier to play and like a modern TV and stuff. They made a lot of small gameplay improvements that I really appreciated. And yeah, but in terms of like remake or rebreak score, it's probably like a remaster or a remake on my score mm-hmm. if I had to pick one. It's not a perfect replace. So,
2: what about the Klonoa remakes? Oh, yes. Oh, I guess,
1: yeah. I mean, those are uh, pretty good. I would have liked them to do. They're not like my ideal Klonoa remakes or anything, but they're a perfectly fine way to play these games, and I'm glad people have access to them. Yeah, like I um, was able to play through Klonoa one for the first time. I thought it was pretty great. I am glad that there's a non insane way to play Klonoa two <laughs> these days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because Klonoa two is probably it feels like a the universe. Not only does it cost a fuck ton. It is probably the hardest game I've tried to play that isn't on, like, PC or DOS or some shit. Like, it's, like, you have to hook up a fucking PS2 and then, like, it has, when you you desync the HDMI or whatever, when you walk through a loading screen, (laughs) every fucking time you walk through a loading screen, it's, like, the most frustrating game to play. And it's my favorite fucking game. Come on. Why'd they have to do that? Why is this happening? (laughs) What's going on? But... Now, we have this remake, which I don't think is, like, perfect, but I think it is good enough that I can just play this version of it and enjoy it all the same. So, it's like, I, frankly, am still a little baffled that this even exists, if I'm going to be honest, but I'm glad it does. I hope it sold well. I don't know how much it sold. Now, listen. I hope people get to. (laughs) I'm just glad that people can readily experience Klonoa now, even if... There are some things I may have handled differently about the remake, and that I think that maybe a little bit has been lost in the transition. Just a little bit, especially with Door to Phantomile, which I I'm not like gonna knock what they've done with the remake, but personally, because I have such an attachment to the original, I think I would prefer to play the original Door to Phantomile still these mm. days. Which is kind of just a personal thing. I I think that the atmosphere is a lot stronger and. I don't know. I'm just. I, I just would prefer to play the original. I think the original has some problems. Like I think that it's a bit harder to hit stuff in the foreground and background. Like I think that there were a lot of worthwhile changes in the remake. I just. I think it's a perfectly fine way for people to play it as well. It still has the heart. But
2: I. I don't. You know. I don't mean to uh, <laughs> to bring light to this. But I. I. I will remember. I remember your reaction when these remakes got announced. It was one of the most wholesome and one of the sweetest things. I've ever experienced from you well you have to
1: realize I never I had pretty much given up like I didn't think Klonoa like they they were making a movie and then it got cancelled mm-hmm. the comic thing they were doing like died out it, it, like yeah. basically seemed like they just never touch it again and when it, when those literally just remake remaster ports got announced I, I don't know it like kind of broke me a little bit I, honestly I, I don't know that something like I guess that just shows you how much they mean to me mm-hmm. as yeah. pieces of art, I, you know. I mean,
2: hey, honestly, I would probably react the same if uh my duology that I want remade actually got like a remake. So, I'd be I'd be I'd be the same way. It's well, okay. After Klonoa, for the end of time,
1: you can always say that I will I have gotten everything <laughs> that I've ever wanted. You're allowed to say that forever cuz I basically have.
2: Oh man. Mhm. Who, do, who did you kiss up to to get what you want? <laughs> so, what do I gotta do? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I
1: don't <laughs> to know. get your golden sun? Yes! Fix. Yeah. Fuck. Well, I had given up hope on Klonoa. And, like, I'm not gonna say golden sun's gonna happen, but, like, I, I was literally in a place where I never thought it would ever happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully, one day.
0: Yeah. If you have not played Fantasy Reverie yet, everybody in the chat, or, I've had interest in Kulanoa, but haven't played it. I would definitely recommend Fantasy Reverie. Like, uh, yeah. the, the originals perfect. have gone down in price since it's came out. So, that's another good thing about it. Yeah. But in terms of the convenience of being able to play these games on a, you know, a modern digital TV and stuff, like, you know, you're getting two games for the price of one for $40. It runs well. It looks pretty nice. Like, they did, it's not. The best HD remaster I've ever seen, but they cleaned up really nicely, you know, and they play well. And, uh, as as we discovered when we did our playthrough, uh, the PC version lets you turn off the bloom. So if that's uh, a, yeah, that 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 is,
1: I think the bloom is quite excessive into personally, and I'm fucking glad that there's a version of it exists where you can turn it off. And when I turned it off, I was like, I became a lot more appreciative of it overall in the Mm -hmm. visual upgrade. I think too is probably the stronger remake for me of the two, but that's just me.
2: I'd like to go back and, you know, you were talking about the playthrough. It'd be cool if we could finish that too.
1: I mean, I personally would just want you to play it and finish it first, to be
2: honest. Sure. (laughs) It's a pretty short game, but. Oh yeah. Even the first clone was pretty short. I'll do that. I'll do that. Fuck yeah. Let's go. Go. Yeah. If
1: you do that, then like I'll, I mean, I'm continuing doing that, but at this, I mean, like I, I don't know. I guess there's no problem with you watching the entire game, but it's kind of like, you know,
2: it, it takes away some of the stuff. I get it.
1: Yeah. It's kind of like Omori where you're better off experiencing it
0: mm-hmm. for yourself. You know, I guess. How many other games do you guys want to cover? Are we going to get to number one games of the year at this point?
2: Uh, I mean, I got like a very small handful that I can just kind of spitball real quick if if that's okay. Okay. Do you like EXO style lightning round? Sure. So, uh, some time ago I was talking about, like, when we were doing, like, a Game of the Year podcast, I think this was, like, back in 2018 or something, 2018, 2019, I was talking about this little game called The Liar Princess and the, the Blind Prince. Mm, yes. Uh, yeah, so that team actually made another game, like, in that style called The Cruel King and the Great Hero, and it's, you know, it's a similar art style, similar-ish music, uh, similar storytelling, but this time they made it a, a turn-based RPG, Which is kind of weird, because it's a 2D side-scroller, and there's not really a lot of puzzles or dungeons or anything like that. It's a lot of straight lines and paths, and it's not really... Like, it's a fun enough game. I think it's very charming, and it's very sweet. I just don't think maybe an RPG was the right way to go about it, because also, mechanically, it's not really that interesting. But it was nice to see, you know, the team that made a game that I very much appreciate and very much like. You know, they gave another genre a stab. I don't think it worked out the best. But, you know, it's cool that they tried, and I hope they make another game in a few years. You know, it's a it's a really mm-hmm. charming little story. And then, like, the last two, I'm kind of going to put in, like, in one category. Uh, I played a little bit of Harvestella, and I also played a lot of Rune Factory 5, which are mm-hmm. uh, life sims, farming games, also with a little bit of dungeon crawling. Rune Factory 5, specifically, I very much enjoyed. It's very 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 flawed especially on the switch the performance is abysmal (laughs) because like it does okay so like it does like a similar thing that jack on the ps2 does where it's like there isn't really any loading screens when you go from environment to environment like you you have like your little farm area and then you just walk right into the town and then you go like you exit the town and you have like this huge overworld that has like little dungeons hidden away which is a cool idea but at the same time it like it kills the performance on the switch it just absolutely mm-hmm. butchers it it didn't really need to have anything like that it's cool that they tried but like they just needed to scale it back and like it feels like and i mean this like in the nicest way like if this game mm-hmm. came out on the ps2 when i was a kid i would have fucking ate this up i would have thought this was like the greatest game of all time mm-hmm. uh I-, I felt very I don't know. It took me back to that time when I would like get a new game on the PS 2 play it and like be like, like, oh, wow, this is like the coolest thing. Like, you know, w- like when Dark Cloud on the PS2 came out, like I-, I loved that game doesn't really hold up that well as an adult, I don't think. But like, <laughs> playing, like as a kid, it was awesome. It was like, whoa, like it-, it was able to like capture me and-, and like just make my mind want like run wild. Like, oh, wait, what what's what's this character up to? Yo, what's this about? You know, it, it was I don't know how to like explain it properly. But like, I, it's, room factory five is kind of the same. Like, it, it reminded me of what it was like to play a game like that for the first time. Is it great? Probably not. You know, Harvestella, I think does a better job in terms of, um, like dungeon design, in terms of optimization. You know, it's not one giant overworld or anything like that. Yeah. It does a better job of like encouraging you to play around with different classes and different weapons to use other people like in your party. Because, like, I think Room Factory 5, and really just, like, the Room Factory games in general, like, they do a weird job of... Because, like, you could get, like, your... How do you say? Your... You can get NPCs that you can romance to join you in your dungeon spelunking and all that. In your exploration and your expeditions and all that. But they they don't ever really do much. They're not really that useful, I don't think. You know, Harvestella definitely fleshes out that idea a bit more, I feel. Uh, I need to play more of Harvest I I didn't get to beat it. I'm not very far in it, but, you know, it's I'm liking this game quite a bit. So I I just kind of wanted to bring those two up. I didn't really know where to squeeze them in, but like they're both fun. They're both charming. And Mm -hmm. if you like Harvest Moon like game story of season, Stardew Valley, check these out. They're fun. All right. Mm -hmm. That's all I got.
0: (laughs) All right. I do want to talk about one last game before we get to number one games. (sighs) I. I'm kind of loath to admit this, but I did play Bayonetta 3. <laughs> mm-hmm. So obviously, it's this game is kind of inextricable from the, the controversy that came out when the former actress, Helena Taylor, posted about how she was only offered $4,000, but then they interviewed a bunch of people and they said, like, no, it was $250,000. That's how much she wanted. And she wanted residuals, but they weren't willing to pay that and then she was like oh no they uh, it was actually 4000 for the cameo that was that was the last offer i get but the first offer was 10000 and then they upped it to 15000 when i you know asked for what i was worth you know it's a whole he said she said kind of situation mm-hmm. where it's kind of like and she kind of poisoned the well by saying by quoting the price for the cameo instead of the price she was offered for not the cameo you know where it's kind of like who's telling the truth whatever the the bottom line of the whole thing is that she's not in the game and that for me kind of killed it in a way like what I'm going to say about Bayonetta three is the argument could be made that it's the best game in the series, like at least in terms of gameplay. But the, the big innovation is that you can in the previous games, there were summons, which were basically quick time events where you finish off the enemy and in this game, you can actually control your demons like directly. It's it's sort of like they stapled the Legatus system from Astral Chain onto Bayonetta, mm. except like in Astral Chain, it was better. Like the whole game is built around that conceit, and they take the time to kind of teach you how to use it. And there's some unique stuff stemming from that. I didn't the like the demon slave system in this game is kind of like you can queue up like one or two actions on the demon which moves really slow and attacks really slowly and then while it's doing that you can also control bayonetta directly but it's like while you're controlling the demon you can't control da- bayonetta directly like you hold the zl button and while you're doing that you control the demon then when you let go you go back to bayonetta but you can't do both at the same time which you more or less could do in astral chain like you could use the right stick to control the your summon. I forget what they're called because I haven't played Astral Chain in years, but you could control Akira and the summon separately using both of the sticks. You can't do that in Bayonetta. So Bayonetta three. So like the, the demon slave feels kind of stiff and it's kind of like grinds the combat to a halt when you have to use it. There's also a new playable character who uses a sword. She has a katana and she has a block mechanic instead of a dodge. She also has a dodge, but you can't do witch time with it. Like you, you get the witch time by blocking at the right time instead of dodging. And she was all right; I didn't mind her all that much. But there are also these 2D levels where you play as Jean, which are the worst thing I might have ever seen. They are terrible. I don't know if you guys have ever played Spyro Two: Season of Flame for the Game Boy Advance. No. No. There are these levels where you play as Agent 9 that are like these 2D side-scroller run-and-gun type deals where you can hide in doors and collect power-ups and stuff. And the Jean levels are sort of like that. Like, they're 2D side-scroller levels with really gimped combat mechanics. And, like, they feel really undercooked, honestly. Where they feel like they're not really adding that much to the plot. Like, I appreciate that Jean actually gets to do something because in the second game she dies at the beginning and then you the game is about bringing her back to life essentially so she doesn't get to do much but though you could cut those levels and the game would probably feel better i i should mention that i did not finish it because honestly i thought it was kind of dull like uh like i i mentioned how spark 3 has a plot where it, it has a very basic setup and then the plot doesn't really go anywhere until the very 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 end Bayonetta 3, even though I haven't finished it, seems to be structured the same way. The game is built around like, the concept of a multiverse. Like, it took the Marvel movies like, ten years to get to that level of kind of convoluted, you know? And they're doing this in the third game. Like, um, say whatever you want about the plots of Bayonetta 1 and 2. Like, they could be confusing and kind of cringe in some places, but they were really engaging. Like, I was glued to the TV when the cutscenes were happening because they were so weird. Whereas with this game, it just felt like, hey, you need to get five Chaos Gears so you can go to Singularity's, Singularity's Dimension and fight him. And then that's the game for like 10 hours. And then I'm assuming that, like I've heard from people that the game, the plot like dives off the cliff at the end as well. I mean, I didn't get that far, but. I really do feel like something tangible is missing in this game because Helena isn't in it. She made the character like she was She was what made the character so interesting in the first two games and you know, I have nothing against Jennifer Hale. She was in Rift Apart. She was Rivet. I've seen her in a lot of different games and she is generally a very good actress. I have nothing against her professionally, personally or anything, but I do not think she was a good choice to recast Bayonetta. I don't think she really fills that void of personality that Helena had and because of that the character feels kind of static and boring in 3. I don't know I just like it's not a bad game by any means and it's probably better than I'm making it sound but I had a really hard time trying to make myself sit down and continue playing it and one other thing I want to say is that this game I think has cemented for me that the switch needs a successor now (laughs) because this game the first two bayonetta games run at 720p 60 fps and they were upgraded on switch to like bayonetta 2 had kind of a had frame drops and performance issues here and there on wii u but that was fixed on switch so the game more or less runs at a solid 60 the whole way through you get to bayonetta 3 and it runs at like 800p 30fps, and it drops frames and has performance stutters all over the place. And there are some parts of the game that look really nice, and there are some other parts that look straight out of a 2007 Xbox 360 game. The Switch is clearly not strong enough for what they wanted to do, and they kind of had to really compromise it to fit it on the system. So, I'm kind of at the point where I would like to see a Switch successor, because, you know, like the ps4 came out in 2013 and the standard it developed was 1080p 30 fps and the switch can't meet that you know and it's we're now in an era where 4k and like temporal upscaling is a thing and it's just the switch it wasn't exactly top of the line in 2017 and it definitely isn't now so Mm -hmm. i'd very much like to see a successor sometime in the next couple years nintendo You know, because I got to imagine when Bayonetta 3 comes out in that system, it's going to play a lot better. So, yeah, it was it's not a bad game, but I was disappointed. Like when I played Bayonetta 1 and 2 for the first time, I was glued to the to the screen. You know, like I couldn't put those games down. They felt really fresh and different. And the second one felt like had a really solid, compelling story to it as well. And then you play three and it just feels tired and like they didn't know what they wanted to do with it so they went for this weird multiverse plot and then nothing happens for 90 percent of the game you know it just i was disappointed so hmm. well that's that's all for me on that game is it time it is time all
2: right yeah king let's hear it
1: okay well to nobody's shock at all. My favorite game of the year was Xenoblade 3. So there we go.
2: It's it's mine too. That's my game um, of the year.
1: <laughs> it feels you know, it's probably predictable. I don't give a fuck. The game was like fucking incredible. So like <laughs> it's at this mm. point, I'm ready to say that it is my favorite Xenoblade game. I think it's been enough time, ruminated on a lot. I did I didn't do an entire second playthrough, but I got pretty far in it and like yeah i think that it just it's the best one it it inherits the bet the strengths of one and two mm-hmm. and what it came out with is like a, a fucking banger of a conclusion to the trilogy that like also leaves room for them to do whatever the fuck they want going forward and i i think that it's a it's a strong thematic game in terms of like the, the things it wants to tackle about living in the endless now and like how it ruminates on like things like death and how to live your life and stuff like that i think it it explores that so thoroughly and literally every aspect of its design it's a much more downbeat game in terms of like it's a it feels like more of a because the theme of the game is about like enjoying the smaller moments and stuff like that i guess it's like a journey rather than the destination kind of a game in like it's very core being and it exemplifies that in being like one of the most fun Xenoblade games to play in the moment with like, so like your potential party can be fucking huge. And the way that they handle, like it has a Final, fin- Final Fantasy 5-esque job system that is about as in-depth as it is in Final Fantasy 5, if not more, because it has more fucking jobs to choose from, where you can inherit the skills from those jobs and mix and match them into your character once they have enough levels with it. And you have six main party members, but the seventh one can be your ally, which there are like fucking twenty of them or something. Mm -hmm. And each of them have a unique job, and it's so like it's just so fucking finely crafted. It's like the most fun Xenoblade game. It doesn't fumble the tutorialization like Two does. Like I actually fucking understand what I was doing in the beginning of the game. Like I I got what it was going for pretty much right away. It has like a banger of an opening. It doesn't take a while to get going. It just kind of goes. And it just starts sprinting, but like, it's also like a fucking, (laughs) a laid back smell the roses game. Like I was just, dude, I don't know, man, this is like the best one. I I don't, I don't know how the fuck they did it. It just is. And like, holy, like I want to save some stuff for the video. I'll eventually do on it. And I want to let you say some stuff, Ryan too. Hmm. But like, holy fuck. I was like, the game's incredible. So
2: I think very much like you. And in some ways, maybe this is a pun, but this game is definitely the best of both worlds between Xenoblade 1 and 2. Yeah. And admittedly, mm. when this game got announced, I was a little worried that this would be an overcorrection of Xenoblade Chronicles 2, but thankfully yeah. it wasn't. You know, honestly, you know, Xenoblade 3 is is my favorite Xenoblade game, but I also think that Z- I-, I prefer Xenoblade Chronicles 2 over Xenoblade Chronicles 1. I think Xenoblade 2 does... Mm a lot more interesting things but after especially like after playing this it's just like it kind of like clicked with me that like this is kind of like and this is maybe a a weird connection or weird comparison but like it reminds me a lot of the mother trilogy in the sense where it's like huh in not in the not to say that xenoblade one is h as bad as the first mother game but in the sense where it's just like you play them Like, you play, like, Xenoblade 1, and then 2, and then 3, and then you see how, like, they're connected, first of all, and then you also see, like, how each game just gets so much better than the last one, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's just like, like, you know, you play through Xenoblade Chronicles 1, you're like, wow, that was a really cool game. Play through Xenoblade Chronicles 2, and then, like, oh, you know, it's like its own little standalone thing. Nope. Then you get to the point where it's like, you see how it's connected, and it's this huge, like, it's a mindfuck. It's like, oh my god! And then Xenoblade 3, it's like, that is the concept. It's just like, you see exactly how they're connected and how they kind of build off of each other. And then, like, it it, it honestly felt like a celebration of both of these games, you know?
1: Yeah. That's another one of my favorite things about it is that the homages it has to 1 and 2 is, like, in its DNA rather than it being, like, a crutch. Yeah! So, like, because they built this game with the framework of the two worlds trying, like, because the... The whole setting of the game is the two worlds are merged, but in an unfinished state. So you will constantly be getting little pangs of, like, I kind of remember that, but it's like altered in such a way that it becomes a new thing Mm -hmm. to where, like, you'll be walking through familiar environments with familiar musical motifs that, like, have their own new thing. It's like a new area and a new song, but, like, with little hints of things that you've seen before. And it's handled in such a way that makes it feel like, Kind of some of those areas feel a little bit like, whoa, that's kind of weird. And it feels a little bit unnatural sometimes, but that's because the worlds are not supposed to be like this. And it's like kind of a a genius way to set the world up in terms of like your main party of six are like three of them are very clearly inspired by the first game. And then the other three are like more inspired by the second game. Yeah, And there's a ton of shit like that throughout the game woven together that makes it feel like. I don't know. It's just like really, really well handled because it also is its own thing at no point throughout this game that I feel like they were relying too much on the past Mm -hmm. because they were able to tell their own story using the past as a framework. And it's just like, it's such a cool way to like, it's also like on a meta level. I don't think this was their intention at all. Like, I really don't think they did this intentionally, but it's kind of well known in this Xenoblade community that the fans of one and two don't really get along very well. (laughs) (laughs) to be honest and there are multitude of reasons for that but like having the premise of the story be that the worlds of one and two and the factions of one and two are literally at war with each other is like it's kind of hilarious (laughs) but also like it fits on even a meta level like i never even thought
2: of it that way dude that is (laughs) that's so fucking
1: cool I don't think it was intentional because I don't know how much that community, especially because I think it's mostly a Western part of the community. Yeah. I don't know, like, I don't know if that ever reached the devs or if that's even something they were thinking about. But at the same time, it's just such a perfect, like, meta thing that's happening based off of that story. Cause, like, I think it's more based on how Xenogears was made. Like, in that game, there are two warring factions with names very similar to Kevis and Agnes. So I think it was inspired mm. by that, but like, mm-hmm. it, it just kind of makes for, like, a perfect premise for the game to, like, combine the strengths of one and two, and that ends up kind of being the message, in a way, because the message of the game is more about, like, even if, like, life is a temporary thing, it's about like, enjoying it while it lasts and not extending it forever because, like, the, the core conceit, like, the, the villain of the game is, like, more of an ethereal thing yeah. where, like, it's about rising up against the idea that because this world is like in a stasis. And that's kinda why I like that the music's a little bit more like calm and a little more downbeat than the other two games. And I think it was done with intention because the the world is like has a stillness to it that like is because they have halted the fusion process to the point where basically it's stuck in time. The game even opens with like the first song in the game that you hear, the like Everybody playing, opens with like a clock ticking and i think that's fucking rad the map is like an ouroboros you start at one then <laughs> and then at the end you literally you end up back at Everblight plain yeah like and it's, it's a giant just circle. like it's and that's the the theme of the game is that the endless now it's a fucking ouroboros it's a cycle that keeps repeating itself it's yeah. like this game is fuck it's one of the best rpgs i've ever played it's fucking
2: this is a also man. a game that has a trope that i fucking hate but they actually made it work. It, the way how it handles characters, quote unquote, coming back to life. Like you see a character yeah. die and then they come back to life. The way how they handled that is perfect. They, yeah. they knew what to do. It's like, oh my, like, I, I hate that <laughs> shit. I, but they made it work.
0: So <laughs> <But, yeah. laughs> It's not Dragon Ball
1: is what you're saying.
2: It's, not, it's, well, it's, it's, it's like, not
0: like a, a core of facet
1: of the world building that yeah. people can come back. Like, I won't go too in depth about it, but like it's, like, literally the world is built on that idea, almost. Like, it all kind of comes together in the end, like, in true Xenoblade fashion, you know? It, it like, you learn things about the world that kind of recontextualizes the whole playthrough, and, like, it's, like, really cool.
2: And there's this moment where it's just, like, you see, like, and I I won't spoil who, but, like, you see this (laughs) character who dies, but they come back, and it's just, like, you see them, like, they go through this process so many fucking times. And it's like, like, Exo, you've seen Steins Yes. And how it's yeah. just like, you know, the characters like going back in time, trying to like prevent this one character from dying. It's not like exactly the same as that. But like when I was when I was watching this scene play out, it, I got Steins vibes from it. It was very yeah. similar,
0: you know, also this like the um, it, the premise of the game, because like we were all together when the trailer came out a trailer at least a story trailer of some kind the came direct. out yeah yeah and based on that it kind of seemed like the main characters were basically Lassie from final fantasy 13 yeah
1: it's yeah. similar they're um the Uraburos, which means that they're the six of them are like they can fuse and become like giant mech things
2: very well, zero g- gears. Look more
1: like demon mechs but like basically the idea is that one person from both of because like i said three of them are clearly from the xenoblade one faction the other three are from the xenoblade two faction each one of those two fuse together and they it's called interlinking and they make a giant mech thing and that ends up being the case where like the two three different pairs become like the strongest relationships in the party basically that's yet another reason that like it kind of is like a marriage between one and two that the like the warring factions have to like interlink together and like become friends that's like the main premise is that they're supposed to defeat mobius who are like the i guess Mm. you could say that they're sort of an analog for like rich people that kind of ruling class thing like sort of it's not like a super deep part of the game but like they, like, literally drink people's life forces in wine glasses and play, like, chess. <laughs> that's um, that's
0: literally a plot point from Jupiter Ascending.
1: <laughs> but they basically, the richly, like, you know, it, it's it like kind of like a thing force. where, like, the, the war isn't, like, a thing that really matters as much as it is the people controlling it, you know? Yeah. It's, like, kind of a thing like that. Mm-hmm. But that's, like, basically the main premise is that they're basically there so they can stop the, the what's called the endless now by like bridging the two factions and stopping the war because the war has been raging on for like people don't even remember when it started or why people are even fighting so basically it's about like stopping the war and stopping the endless now and shit like that Mm -hmm. you know what to do that they have to learn to love each other the people from the two factions that were at war and to do that you like i think in an interview they said that they wanted to specifically create the game so that each one of the members of the party each six gets like a defining moment or like several defining moments yeah and i really felt that because this is probably the most solid core cast of any of these games
2: it's one of my favorite casts just in an rpg period yeah and you know it's, it's a
1: really f- solid set
2: it's funny because like you're also talking about like how this game is also about like living in the moment and, like, appreciating, like, what life has to offer. But you know what else it's about? It's a love story. <laughs> you got to yeah. see all these little youngins just, like, falling in love and, and developing yeah. feelings. It's the cutest fucking thing ever. I love these people.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's like... Wasn't that sort of in the first one with, like, Fiora and Shulk? Not, not,
1: yeah, not like Yeah, it this. was not very well written. <laughs> um, like this. Yeah, it was like... That was sort of a thing. But in this game, it's, like, literally all three pairs have, like, the romance thing going on. There, I think, like, it, it's not really, really like, is like, insanely well-developed, but the main two characters are probably one of the best that I've seen.
2: There's um, a moment. Mm-hmm. There's a moment at the end, I'm like, are they gonna do the thing? Are they gonna do... And they do the thing. I won't say what it is, but they do a thing. I <laughs> the fucking screamed. The I clapped! <laughs> I clapped! Because so many games shy away <laughs> from doing the thing, and they did the thing! Huh?
1: Is it a gay kiss? No. Well, you know, it's. But I'm not going to spoil it. <laughs> you know, it's fucking. The ending's also, like, bittersweet. Because they, like, it, it's kind of like. It makes me angry thinking about it. Because the, the theme of the game is, like, you have to be okay accepting loss and accepting mm-hmm. that things can't go on forever. <laughs> and it makes the ending, like, it, it infuriates me because it's like, I have to be okay with the way they end the game. Because that's the whole point of the game. But it's also a sad ending in a way, but it can't be sad because it's you can't like it's like one of those perfect thematic conclusions. That's like the game has taught you that this sad ending is is, you have to be okay with it and accept it. And it's like kind of Uh, genius in that way. Well, (laughs) okay,
2: I was actually a little like thrown off guard by the ending because like I thought the game and again, I try not I'll try not to like spoil anything. But like I thought the premise of the game was that they have to do a, a specific thing. And then, like, at the end, after you beat the final boss, they say, like, oh, well, it's actually the opposite of what you thought it was going to be. But the way how they kind of say that kind of, they kind of make it sound like, oh, no, this was the thing all along. What, you didn't catch that? And I'm like, wait, 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 what? And then, like, there's this thing that happens at the very end that kind of, like, I guess just confused me. I'm like, oh, I thought we're we're doing this. I don't know. Like, there's a lot, like, I I want to say, like, what (laughs) happens, but I can't. Boil it, and it's infuriating. Yeah, I'm,
0: I'm thoroughly confused as someone who's unfamiliar with this game. Uh,
2: I, I don't know. It's just like I thought it was like they they kind of spell it out that they were going to do one thing, and at the end they they do mm-hmm. the opposite of that. Well, I think but the, it's the not way like that it's a written subversion is...
1: of expectations, though. Not yeah, me. it's sort of like the way that it's written is they never explicitly say what they're going to do, mm-hmm. so the implication is that they're going to do one thing, but then you reach the end, and at least I. Sort of realized that they were ta- they were talking about doing something entirely different the whole yeah. time. so uh, th- it, it, it's something like that, I guess. It's like a thing where like they never explicitly say one way or the other, but they like leads you to believe one thing when it's actually something else. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, but like uh, like the last cutscene, anyways. Like ultimately, at like at the end of the day, I did think that the ending was perfect. Like like the last yeah. shot. I, again well, it more made me it, cry a lot <laughs> I, I thought i thought so. that was just like you know what okay maybe i was a little thrown off but like that's how you, that's how you do it that's how you end a fucking video game dude <laughs> oh xenoblade 3 was was a really good fucking game i i loved it and it was this is hands down easily my game of the year
1: yeah yeah mm-hmm.
0: it's my <laughs> game of the year
1: so
2: let me ask
0: a question for you guys because yes. I have not played any of these Xenoblade games which is why I did not play this one because it's unlike like I mean it looks kind of interesting but I know that the I know the twist at the end of two about how it's connected to one so I figured there would probably be knowledge from the first two games I might that might make the story more satisfying or something if I played them before three I, is there one of these three games in particular you would recommend to
1: me to you uh if you're going to get
2: into xenoblade and that maybe again i'm not really the expert here like leave that to king and jeb like they're more about these games but i honestly think if you're going to get into xenoblade start with one then play two then three yeah
1: Yeah. at this point it feels like you almost have to do that there was a point in my life where i would tell people you could play either two or one first i still think you probably could honestly but I mean, it's weird because I I feel like you basically have to play three after one and two or it just doesn't reach the full effect.
2: Well, I would even Uh argue that, like, a lot of the reason why I liked Xenoblade, because I I ended up really enjoying Xenoblade 2 when I finished that. A lot of the reason why I enjoyed it as much as I did is because, like, I, I, because, like, for a while I didn't really care for the game. I was very, like, lukewarm. I was kind of on and off. And then they released Definitive Edition, so I picked that up, and I played through it. And I'm like, okay, I know that was pretty good, but then when I went back to 2, it's just like, you see, again, like, how they're connected, and, like, not even just, like, in terms of, like, the story, but even, like, like mechanically. Like, this is kind of the things that, like, yeah. it improves upon, you know? It's just like, when, when you I, play when them I... back to back to back, like, you get to see, like, the bigger picture. It's just like, you, you can't... It's like having the dough in pizza, and then having the sauce, and then the cheese. You need all three to make it work, you know?
0: Like the the impression I got from watching King's video is that the first game is really solid and well made and very kind of I think affected a lot of people like emotionally and stuff when it first came out. It felt very fresh, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And then you get to Xenoblade Two, and Xenoblade Two is kind of the messy follow up where some things are really improved, but the tutorialization sucks, and there's some anime cliches thrown in there that kind of. Is sour the broth a bit? One might call it a but,
2: Ryan game,
0: even. <laughs> well, R- Ryan game just means anime RPG, personally. <laughs> so yes, it would be, but I I mean, like I I've seen I've seen people complain about the cutscene where I think it's Mi- Pyra or no wait, it's Mithra the blonde one wakes up and wrecks his bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, goes monkey mode. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah. Like, some of the cutscenes look pretty cringe, oh, they I'm are. not going to lie. Oh, uh, they are. Yeah. The voice acting
1: uh, is... Uh, I, there are some t- scenes with Tora and Poppy that I literally can't look at when I play the game. Like, <laughs> it's <laughs> that bad. Yeah,
0: that, that stuff looks pretty uncomfortable, honestly. It does not pass um, the
2: walk-in test. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, I don't know. I guess I have Definitive Edition. If I'll see if I can't find some time to try it.
2: I Honestly, don't think you'll
1: like it, but I mean, if you, no, you let, can let me go put it for th- it,
2: let me put Why it this not? way, dude. Let me put it this way. You could play it on because like this is what I did. And I I, I I, I don't give a fuck. Like I played on the easier difficulty. I played on the easier difficulty. Dude, I beat the game in like 35 hours, you know, <laughs> only 35 hours Well, when everyone's saying that Xenoblade is like a 60, 90 hour long RPG. And I was able to beat it in like 30 yeah. hours in the easiest difficulty, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah.
1: Xenoblade one especially is. It's, like, you can ignore a lot of the side quests and you kind of just blitz through it pretty fast. hmm Depends on how Not much so you want to do the exploration, because I usually take a longer time playing Xenoblade 1, because I, like, I mean, a lot of the side quests kind of suck, but, like, I love exploring the titans. I think yeah. the the open world's really fun to explore and stuff like that, but if you aren't into stuff like that, then you can kind of mainline it pretty quick.
2: Yeah. Okay. I
1: don't know. Like, uh, right. I feel like... if. <laughs> I feel like you could do it because you got through Persona.
0: <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, I, re- I really like Persona five. And I mean, Bursaria doesn't seem like the kind of game I'd like either. Yeah. I think I like it's worth that. a shot, at least. Yeah. And I'm willing to give it a fair chance. You know, it's just more like trying to find the time and energy to commit to something. Cause like when you, when I hear that that game is like a hundred hours long, that kind of puts me off on it a bit. That's why I haven't played it yet. that's kind of a hell of a commitment to make like I said play it on the easier difficulty
2: because like it's that one is a game I played mostly for the story anyways so Mm -hmm. the story the characters learning about them so you know give it a shot like it's it's a lot especially definitive edition it's a lot more like clear cut in terms of like how the mechanics work it does a better job of like explaining like what the systems actually do than if you're playing on the Wii or the new 3DS you know Mm -hmm. mm-hmm XO before we get to you (laughs) <laughs> uh can I can I give like an honorable mention to a game real quick? Sure. Uh sure. I, I kind of feel like if we had to talk about Elden Ring a little bit, because that, you know, I don't mm, that's right. Yeah, Exo you haven't played it, have you? No, I haven't played any of the well, I've
0: I've played Demon's Souls. Actually it's Demon's Souls yeah. Possessive, which throws me off every time. But uh I played that on PS3 for maybe like an hour once, and that's
2: about it, as far as Souls games go. And, you know, King, you haven't, like, played a whole heck of a lot of it, right? i played, like, six hours. Yeah. Which is basically nothing. (laughs) Well, I I played 40 hours, which is also basically nothing. (laughs) Like, if you want to talk Mm. about a game that's, like, intimidating, (laughs) it's fucking Elden Ring, dude. I gotta give this game a a lot of credit, because, like, this is... It's one of the most impressive games i played, in the sense where it's just, like, you think the game is so big. But, like, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's like, you don't under... Like, I don't understand how they go from... I don't know how they make these games so fast and how they make them so polished, you know? It's insane mm-hmm. to, And, like, like, just the level of mechanics and the size of the game and how many bosses there are. Like...
0: So, may I ask a question? Yeah. Because this, this game has been touted as kind of an open-world Souls game. Yeah. But what I've seen of dark souls one it seems like the that world is interconnected as well so kind of what's what makes this game so much more open than the others
2: uh well well i mean you just kind of said it right there in the sense where it's like dark souls one is more interconnected it's this isn't necessarily about things being interconnected it's about like the actual like you're exploring an entire continent as opposed the to the way just like,
1: that i would put it is that elden ring is like a, a breath of the Wild, whereas um, Mm -hmm. Dark Souls is like an ocarina sort of thing. Like, it's more of a Metroidvania where, like, you pretty Mm -hmm. much there... It's interconnected, but like, through hallways and dungeons. You know, like, there's not like a big... Elden Ring is like a giant open field where you can find dungeons and find caves, which are kind of like shrines. So that's, like, pretty much the perfect way to describe it, I think.
0: Alright. Yeah, and I I did watch your video on it, King, which was a while ago i guess people um, are very upset did you ever with me f-
1: <laughs> when i made that yeah,
2: video for yeah. stupid reasons
0: <laughs> i do want to say like from an outsider's perspective the Soulsborn. like i'm sure there are plenty of nice friendly people in the Soulsborn community who are very you know understanding and personable but there, it does seem like there is at least a faction of that community that can be kind of a little toxic maybe
2: i wouldn't even say <laughs> like yeah, a little, a little more. than I'm a trying little, to be but, yeah. polite, <laughs> kind of lowballing it.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be polite and not overgeneralize this community, you know. And it's those people put me off from those games, honestly, because it's like I find, yeah, yeah, it's like I, I appreciate that people enjoy how challenging these are, and I Miyazaki apparently his motivation was, if I recall your videos correctly, King is that he wanted the the world to feel grounded and realistic. So that was kind of the motivation for making them so challenging. Yeah. I appreciate all of that, but it's kind of like like I sort of brushed over this when we talked about tunic, but I found the difficulty of that game really frustrating. Mm. Like that the Garden Knight probably took me like fifteen tries to beat because the mechanics just felt so stiff. And I really didn't like how blocking in tunic use stamina I don't know if that's that's a soul standard yeah. Soul. yeah it is yeah I really did not like that <laughs> so I don't know I it's it's kind of what's what's kept me from trying these games is the culture kind of around them so
2: I say fuck the culture Fuck but yeah
1: it. I mean it's like at this point I I've just decided that like there are people that will never like yeah that video I made I don't think I made a single critique of the game that was not even what the video was about. But that's how people took it. Yeah. And I, the only way you can take it that way is if you just don't listen to anything that was said at all. And I, the people just come over there and they're like, you don't think this is the greatest gift to mankind that you must be playing right now for the next <laughs> couple of weeks of your life? You must be doing that. It's like a very, it's an annoying fan base to deal with. One of my least favorite to interact with. Cause like you're, the gist of it seemed to be like, you were going through a pretty
0: rough, anxious phase of I your life. I was going through and- an
1: extremely bad... This thing that I was going through made me get a therapist. It was that bad. Like, mm. I had to yeah. find one immediately because I was in such a bad headspace. And I couldn't... I was not in the mood to play a fucking over 100 hour long game where every fucking boss is Dark Souls hard. Yes, I just exactly. couldn't do it. In a In a world that is built to be oppressive
2: and unwelcoming... No, I didn't want to fucking deal with that. I want to play fucking Kirby. I, I just wasn't yeah. in the mood. Which props for you? Honestly, maybe this doesn't get said enough, but honestly, it's good for you that you got help. A lot oh, yeah. Of them, I mean, so, that's, so. if you God, need help,
1: because I would be in a much darker place if not.
2: Yes. A little little note to anyone who's listening. If you feel as if you need help, please get therapy. Don't don't let.
1: Yeah. And hopefully the fucking American away. healthcare system will let you get a fucking therapist.
2: Please fix that. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's also like, you know, different, different strokes or different folks and all that. Like, I also was, I mean, maybe not to like, you know, it's comparing apples to oranges. I was also dealing with a lot as well. But at the same time, yeah. it was just like, there was a part of me that was just like, fuck you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to explain. Like, I was, I was dealing with like a lot as well and it's just like oh yeah here's this game that's like really hard and really challenging and unwelcoming I'm like well if it's gonna be unwelcoming fuck it I'm coming in anyways I'm a fucking wreck I- I'm gonna raise some hell I'm a re- fuck it <laughs> I'm yeah, a myself a lot of
1: people um <laughs> there have been a lot of experiences uh I know I don't know if you've ever heard of writing on games before but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he his name is Hamish Black I mean, we, we're we kind of friends we haven't talked in a while but hey Hamish I doubt you'd watch this to <laughs> be honest but <laughs> <laughs> um he made it one of his breakout videos a while a while back was uh how dark souls helped him through his suicidal depression i think yeah and it's one of the one of those things where you're like oh really dark souls helped you through that but it was sort of a similar thing where like the reason it helped him through it was because it like forced him out of the slump he was in and like made him engage with something really really and he even says in the video that this is not like a It did not like cure his depression or anything, but it like Mm. helped him cope in the sense that like, and he also said he does not recommend this necessarily. It was just an experience he had where like, it really helped him through his, like that phase of his life where like he, it was a game that was basically forced him to engage with it on its terms. And it was an extremely, extremely satisfying thing to get through because of that, that made him feel happy and fulfilled, you know? Yeah. Um, so the games can kind of have that effect on people. I think that's why people it's has such a cult of personality around it is because it's like, you know, there are hard games. Sure. But like, these games are are hard in a way that's like, it's sort of seen as like a, a badge of honor, almost to some people, if you beat a Souls game, which is mm-hmm. kind of weird, because I think there are harder games that have been made. But it's like, a I don't know, it's kind of like a gauntlet of like challenges where like the game, the games are just not built to be friendly in any way whatsoever so like getting through something like that is kind of like you know like walking over hot fucking coals with your bare feet you know like yeah it's sort of like a i don't know it can have that effect i guess
2: yeah and also like with this one in particular with the open world it gives me an excuse to like it gives me this huge playground just to like get lost in yeah and just to to oh i guess literally you know fuck around and find out like, I remember, like, one of the one of the things, that, like, everyone always talks about, like, one of their early, earliest experiences, like, when they get, like, the little horse mount, and then they go to, like, this lake that's, like, to the right of the starting area, and this giant dragon just, like, spawns in, and it's a boss fight, you know? And then, like, if you kill it, there's, like, a chance you can learn, like, a really cool dragon spell, or, like, you get, like, an item that can help you learn, like, dragon spells and everything, you know? It's just, it's always throwing something different at you. And it, mm-hmm. it always keeps you on your toes. It always keeps you guessing. It's a really, really good game, but I will never be able to beat it because it is way too big. And honestly, like, I think I've had my fill. Like, I, I kind of want to keep playing to see, like, like, where it goes. You know, one of the things that people always say about Elden Ring is just like, oh, you know, it's one of the more accessible games in the Soulsborne series, because, like, if an area is giving you a hard time, you can always just go back, you know, you can leave do some other stuff and then come back when you're ready which is only like yeah you technically can do that but like if you're stuck in an area for example and you're dying a lot you know you have to go back to a certain point to get your souls or your your runes or whatever you know and if you die on the way there that's just it's so much progress that that gets lost and it's wasted you know like that's one of the biggest turnoffs for me with these games i think this is like like this was the game that made me realize like why these why the Soulsborne games don't really click with me all that well. I think it's literally just the losing all of your like your what what, what do you call it like currency? I don't know I what don't
1: they call it in Elden Ring because there's a, I think it's like just in runes. Bloodborne they call it they're called blood echoes, in the yeah. Souls games are called souls. Souls. I don't you really know? even know what they call it in Elden Ring, but like
2: I'm pretty sure it's just rooms. But it's yeah. just like games like this, like Jedi Fallen Order, fantastic fucking game. But it does the same thing. Tunic does the same thing. It's just, like, I feel like dying and being pushed back a certain amount, I think that's punishment enough, you know? I I just think, like, losing all of your souls, and then, like, if you die, they're just gone for good. Oh, yeah. I I feel like these
1: games... I I am a proponent of these games having an easy mode. I know this is a controversial thing, and whatever. (laughs) I don't fucking care. I I don't think it's, like, some people make this a huge deal. I really don't think it's a big fucking deal, because if, like, Especially, I've been playing uh, Fire Emblem Engage lately, Mm -hmm. and I think that the way that that game, or these games, because they've been handling this this way for a while, the way they handle it is perfect. They have a difficulty slider, and you can choose whether units die permanently or they just die temporarily. And if you do that Mm -hmm. for Souls, literally, what do you lose? Because, you know, in Fire Emblem, the hardcore fans just pick classic mode. That's just, they just do that. I pick classic mode. Yeah. I don't even describe myself as a hardcore Fire Emblem fan, but I do. If I were to play Souls, I'm just gonna pick the mode that's like Dark Souls, where I like death has like a lot of punishment, and then you have to go back to bonfires and stuff, and the bosses are fucking hard. But then why not make an easy mode? Because it just mm-hmm. it just lets people enjoy it more. More people can play the game. Everybody fucking wins. Yeah.
2: My train of thought on that whole thing is more so just like if the devs want to, that's fine. If not, I'm not gonna like. Yeah, I'm not going to force you know?
1: them to do it, yeah, but I just yeah. don't, I don't see where where the controversy comes from of like, this would like ruin the game if it was implemented. I just don't get it. I think that goes yeah. back to the fan base being a little bit like gatekeepy and like, I don't know. It's kind of an annoying fan base to deal with, but I don't care. Yeah. I say add an easy mode if they want to do it. I, I yeah. think <laughs> maybe one day they probably will because they've made it so much more accessible than it was in Demon's Souls.
2: And that that's my train of thought. I was like if they want to, cool. If not, yeah, who cares? We're all gonna die through the heat death of the universe anyways. <laughs> so
0: Well, you know, maybe in trillions of years, yeah.
2: Well, I mean, you don't know that. I, I could I could feed uh, the sun Chipotle and be really gassy and it'll explode. Yeah, you know, I mean we you want know, you know what world heat was death was is like
1: you know, the everything revolved around us. I don't know why it took me a while to say, but uh everything revolved around the earth. Uh. So you never fucking know.
2: Yeah, every everything revolved around the Earth, but that's not true. Everything revolves around me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is very true. There you but go. Yeah, honestly, th- yeah,
2: honestly, though, I think Elden Ring's a kick-ass game, but at the same time, it's like, it, it, it might be just a little too much sometimes. Like, I, I remember, like, when I was playing it, when I was going through, let's say, my depressive spell, which lasted for several months, you know, I was very, very much engaged with it, you know? And then I decided, you know, f- several months later, like, at this point, it was, like, a few weeks ago. Where I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll pop it back in. I'll play it for a bit. Why not? See, you know, how far it can get. And I was miserable. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I, I hate this. I got to, like, this part where you have to fight, like, a whole bunch of these, like, flying enemies that also shoot out poison gas. So it's like, while you are trying to hit these flying enemies, you're also dying because you are poisoned. And they're also, like, hitting you from uh, a point where you can't see. Fire, it was... It was awful i was having the worst time of my life i hear
1: from a lot of people that i've heard this from rz and i think joseph anderson talked about this a a lot of people have talked about that the latter half i guess of that game the later Mm. parts are like actual bullshit (laughs) like yeah more than is usual (laughs) in dark souls like it's not well i think that that's probably the the breaking point that they reached making a game this big is that the later parts of the game are not balanced at all it's, like, literally, it's pretty almost unfair and frustrating at the very end of the game. Well, maybe even yeah. just, I think, like, the latter half of it all is, like, seems to be, like, what people have arrived at is it's not super well-designed later in the game. You have yeah, to kind of game break is, it to get through it.
2: Maybe the game is a little too big for its own good. But, I mean, for whatever it's worth, that those 40 hours that I spent when I was, like, in that that frame of mind, that was some of the coolest I guess, experiences that I've ever had with the game. You know, you you were talking about, like, Tunic about, like, how that's all about Discovery. I think this is, like, it has a lot of the same appeal. Like, again, like, one of the things people always talk about is, like, when they go underground and they see, like, this huge area that's, like, covered in stars and, like, the sky is purple and, like... I mean, just discovering that there's, like, an entire... Like, it's not as big, but, like, it's it's still way bigger than it has any right to be. But, like, this huge area, like, underground, it's like, whoa! It's like, again, like, you just always finding new things, and there's always, like, something pulling you in. I think that's this the
1: g- thing they've, that FromSoft has always been good at is world design. So, yes, that's one of my favorite things about Souls, so.
2: Yeah, El- Elden Ring is very good. I mean, that's really all I have to say about it, but, you know, I, maybe at some point I will, you know, pull up my big boy pants and play through more of it, but at the <laughs> moment, at the moment, I, I'm fine right here. I had 40 hours. I thought it was very good. 40 hours is, like, a typical length for a JRBG anyways. I liked it. <laughs> It deserves a lot of the hype. So what about you, Exo? What, mm-hmm. what is your game of the year?
0: Uh, um. Okay, so so far we've talked about a lot of different games that came out this year. And it, the common theme for me, if you go back and listen to what I was saying, was like, even the good games had something about them that I really didn't enjoy. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I didn't I didn't wasn't really a fan of how the combat and difficulty were designed in Tunic. I didn't really think the demon slave system was that great in Bayonetta 3, and I thought the level design was kind of boring. Spark 3 was really great in some ways, but the moment you go for the score medals or the explore medals, like the game, the pacing just goes out the window, you know? So I've talked about, and even Stray, that was like a game that I would say was a solid good, but I could see ways that that could have been like really amazing if it had just stripped out all the dialogue and Made everything sort of like from a cat's point of view. So, like most of the games I played this year were really disappointing in one way or another, which is why I am forced, even though I'm not proud to say this, to name Sonic Frontiers as my game of the year. Fair, hmm. like because like I know that it, Ryan, you liked the game. Yeah, it wasn't your favorite thing in the world, but you enjoyed, I it. And King, enjoyed it. King, King, you had a lot of criticisms, especially of like the cyberspace parts and the story. You know. I still maintain that
1: it's okay. Yeah, I would. I, would I mean, like sl- slide a little towards mediocre, but I'm I land at okay.
0: Mm-hmm. And like, as for me, if you go back, we obviously we did like a ridiculous super long podcast on this game already. So if you want to, you know, hear it in more detail, go watch that. But I think what I'm going to say is that running around the open zones, collecting memory tokens and doing all the little platforming challenges was easily the most fun i had with any game all year because it felt like there was something kind of pure and uncomplicated about it yeah where like it was just pure streamlined fun without any i wasn't getting frustrated at the difficulty design like i was in tunic you know like the plot was kind of on the back burner and i didn't really pay attention to it unlike spark 3 or bayonetta 3 you know and Obviously, I love collectathons. So seeing Sonic take its try at that, I thought was kind of fun. Probably the most fun collectathon I've played since like ukulele. So, and it's like, even though it was a platformer and it had a lot of content in it, the pacing of it did not bother me the way it bothered me in Kirby. It felt like there was always something new to do. I could get where I wanted relatively quickly. I don't know. It's like Sonic Frontiers is a deeply flawed video game tried to do a lot of different things and it did not totally succeed at many of them. <laughs> like, you know, obviously we talked about the story. We talked about like the cyberspace controls being kind of crappy, the reused level themes and recycled assets. Like it's a deeply flawed game. And that's kind of why I feel guilty naming it my game of the year. But I don't
2: think you should feel guilty because I, I, I mean, if it makes you feel any better with this, you know, I, in 2022 alone i played through the game twice i played it once on ps4 and then i ended the year by playing Mm -hmm. it again on switch and then i got a ps5 eventually and you know the it has like a free upgrade so i did that and i wanted to see how it ran you know on the ps5 i never got to see the game in 60 frames per second and like i just wanted to test it for a little bit see what it's like and i couldn't put it down you know like i don't think it is the best sonic game ever made i don't think it's peak sonic or anything like that but there is something about it that like when i play the game i am just i am I'm, I'm in it you know it just it has my attention and uh, I, i'm doing and yeah. uh, like a third playthrough of this fucking game a third playthrough of sonic frontiers you know it
1: must work on some level because a lot of yeah. people seem to like it so
2: i think it's really like honestly it's it's really fun now in fairness it's like when i played through it on ps4 and then i played through it on switch my opinion did not change at all I I was just like, yeah, no, this is a pretty damn good game. It's a lot of fun. And it's the same when I'm playing it on PS5 right now. It's like, it has not shifted one way or another. I just think it's like a solid, like, if I were to give it like a letter grade, it's a solid B. It's just, it's, it does what it needs to do. It doesn't really waste my time with anything because like I enjoy, well, except for maybe the cyberspace, but like running around in the fields is a lot of fun. A lot of the chat, like platforming challenges can be really fun when it's not on Chaos Island. Uh, And I think a lot of the boss (laughs) fights are really fun too, you know? And I, I'm yeah. I'm very like interested. I wouldn't exactly say excited, but like I'm interested to see like where they take Sonic Frontiers with its DLC for for 2023. Oh yeah, yeah. like there's mm. going to be like a lot of new stuff that they're going to be adding. They're going to add like a new like I don't know like a bonus episode or something like that where we going to play as other characters, which is really cool. So uh, you know I'm I like this game. I think there's no shame in liking well, I- it. There's no shame in disliking it, but don't don't feel. Don't feel bad for saying this is your game of the year. If you liked it, you liked it. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, I guess.
0: I guess part of my apprehension comes from the fact that back around when the game awards were like nominating like the community choice and stuff, wow. it seemed like a lot of Sonic fans were trying to like astroturf the system yeah. or game it in such a way that the game would win. Because if the game didn't win game of the year, I don't know, it would, it would have been like a personal rejection Sonic to them would or have something.
1: Died
0: yeah Yeah. (laughs) like it it seemed like it just maybe i'm mischaracterizing their motivation but it did seem like there was a lot of desperation no no, i definitely saw that too on twitter yeah yeah like um so i'm not really one of those people i'm not one of those people who's who's gonna sit here and excuse every flaw in the game like this this game like i don't even like the bosses and a lot of people seem to like the the titan bosses so you know like for me, it is purely memory token stuff that made me love this game so much. But
1: and I guess it's yeah. like, uh, there are tons of games that I love that are deeply flawed. It's always about, like, are the highs enough? And I guess just the highs of this game weren't enough for me. So, yeah.
2: Honestly, I even so, like talking about the Game Award stuff. I honestly think it's just cool that this game was nominated for anything at all. The fact that it even made it so far to even be on the show, you know? I
1: think it deserved to be nominated for music at least. Yeah. So I really like the soundtrack. Yeah kind of sucks that it it was
0: i've complained about this before but i'll keep this brief but i i don't see how god
1: of war (laughs) ragnarok got a soundtrack nomination but not sonic yeah that that was like because i don't remember what the i think xenoblade threws in there as well yeah that yeah it's kind of a crime that god of war could even win over that
0: if you have a choice between yasunori mitsuda and bear mccreary i don't know how you're not choosing mitsuda yeah like, no offense to Bear McCreary, but his his background is in film and television, and he does well within that oeuvre, but it's like, the other guy composed Chrono Trigger. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> uh, Anyways, I guess that's all for today. Hope
2: you guys enjoyed. Next year's gonna be know, fucking nuts. Or this yeah, year. It's already, it's, it's packed.
1: I'm already playing fucking Fire Emblem. It feels like Man. there's gonna be a lot of games that come out, yeah yeah i'm not ready for it <laughs> like what is what is there coming
2: out oh my god there's i'm at a loss well i mean king's already got fire emblem there yeah. is of course the new zelda game there is the new final fantasy game there's a handful of final fantasy games actually coming out isn't rebirth coming out this year too yeah yeah there's 16 there's rebirth for whatever it's worth there's there's also- a
0: final fantasy 16 yes yeah.
2: yes
1: yeah that's coming out this is out. the first i've Dude, heard of this it looks
2: fucking nuts <laughs> I, I think the
1: dmc combat director is doing the combat of that game and it looks oh. it looks like it looks <laughs> like a big step up from 15 i'll say that
2: resident evil 4 is getting a remake which looks yeah. really good oh yeah there's fucking story of seasons a wonderful life like that's They're getting a remake the and, the and i'm really excited for that. that
1: star wars game
2: yes spider-man
1: yeah, the Spider Man game, Spider Man Two, I guess, which is kind of funny. <laughs> Spider Man Two coming out in 2023, same <laughs> title as the fucking movie.
2: Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot. There is a yeah, there lot are of stuff. Quite a few
1: games. I th- there was something else I was thinking of. Uh, God, I don't remember. But there's a fuck ton coming out. So yeah, I, I don't know what it says about
0: me, but like besides Resi Four, like I don't know, I guess I still need to play the first Spider Man game. So maybe like after a I try that, I'll be like, oh, can't wait for the sequel. That game level. is very good. I don't know. Spider-Man mm. is very good. I enjoy it. I'm not really a big Final Fantasy guy, and I didn't really like Breath of the Wild that much, so everything else just kind of seems like not a exo-type game, I suppose. Check out,
2: check out the trailers for Final Fantasy sixteen. You might get a kick out of it.
1: All right. Yeah, it seems like much more of an action game than, like, a, well, it is, but, like, you know what I
2: mean? <laughs> yeah. It looks nuts. I'm, I'm ready for it.
1: So I think one of the, I think it's the first Final Fantasy game that's rated, like, M. M, so there's, like, blood and sex in it, which is funny. Fuck
2: yeah!
1: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I doubt there's gonna be-
0: well, that's probably not what you meant anyway, but, uh, yeah.
1: Like, there's, t- um, there's a scene in the trailer where two characters don't have any clothes. They don't show, like, actual sex, but, like, it's implied.
0: Yeah. Well, it's like if they go there, then it becomes adult only, yeah. so- yeah, I don't know Cyberpunk, it, which, which does is some the shit. reason why. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the standards have laxed since Fable One, <laughs> where it just cuts to black yeah. and you hear moans. So I don't know if things have changed since then, but I don't know. Anyways, uh, that was our Game of the Year podcast. Uh, I'm not sure when we're going to record again. I guess it just did. The, the impression I've gotten from our viewership is that people are not interested in the playthroughs, they want podcasts so we'll figure it out well, we gotta
2: finish Sonic Adventure, um, we gotta finish that
0: we'll see, cause I'm
2: having a blast
0: yeah, thank you all for watching and we'll see you in the next podcast bye bye mm-hmm. please check out our YouTube channel for playthroughs of our favorite games and video versions of all our podcasts. This episode was edited by yours truly, ExoParadigm Gamer. Check out the links in the description to follow each of us on YouTube, Twitter, and more. Thank you all very much for watching our podcast, and we'll see you all next time.